I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Lynn Barrett, author of Crazy, Reclaiming Life from the Shadow of Traumatic Memory. Often misdiagnosed DID, Disassociative Identity Disorder, is known predominantly to be caused by severe childhood trauma combined with a disorganized attachment style. Lynn Barrett shares her own journey going from happy wife and mother to internally living with more than 10 distinctive personalities, or alters as they are called. Her story is a life-changing gift for all the survivors of trauma and those who love them and for anyone who wants to educate themselves on trauma-induced disassociation, particularly as it manifests as DID. She's a survivor, Lynn, a survivor of early childhood trauma, is a speaker and retreat leader, as well as a retired elementary school teacher, school principal, and church pastor. She's currently, she facilitates Tate's writers' workshops, teaches a memoir class for disassociative writers, and is heard on public radio, podcasts, and other venues, including the Catherine Zock Show. Welcome to the show, Lynn. Nice to have you on. Thanks uh, for having me, Catherine. I'm happy to be here. Okay. Well, as we discussed right before we got on the show, we're kind of in the same spot. You're in the Adirondacks. I'm in Albany, so we're close, although we're not in the same room. But Lynn, I mean, I read your book from cover to cover. Uh, it was mm. compelling. I cried. Um, I it, It's really well written, I have to say. And I, I do think a lot of memoirs really don't capture um, the, uh, the feelings in the way that you did. Uh, and the honesty, I guess, that just that word just kind of. I think permeates the book honesty, and I'm just going to start with you said, or you said in um, in the course of writing the book, I had a complicated and painful life. I thought that that described was an overall picture. Um, am I on target? What do you think? <laughs> well, yes, I think you're certainly on target. Um, I had a very complicated and painful life. I was. <clears throat> uh, it, 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 I don't even know where to go with that <laughs> because that's the whole that's the whole story and that's the whole book in one little statement. Um, accepting that it it does not include the fact that my uh, through really really hard hard therapeutic and practical life skills, I um, uncomplicated my life. Um, and my life is no longer painful. And so there is a, there, there's a, a real and honest trajectory in the story that, um, uh, that, that there is hope and that there's light at the end of that tunnel. Um, and Lynn, can so, we start? I was just—I'm um, going to interrupt you because you're right. I mean, there's that—the—the the umbrella, as as I guess described it, or as you described it, complicated and painful life, and there is light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe we should get back to DID, Dissociative Identity Disorder, and describe mm-hmm. what you had, what you were diagnosed as, because it used to be sure. multiple personality disorders, and then we all think of the movie Sybil, and and sort of, uh, at least that's what I have to say, that's what I thought of when I first sure. started reading it, and that's not exactly three, three what face, it is. Three, three Faces of Eve, too. <laughs> yeah, Three Faces uh, of yeah, Eve. Three yeah. Faces of Eve and Sybil, yes. 
So I, I, I would love to be able to explain uh, dissociative identity disorder to you a little bit. It is, uh, it, we, we tend to think of it as, as being a rare and exotic disorder, um, and we think of it in terms of Sybil and Eve, uh, which were very dramatic cases of that, and well before there had been any significant research into the disorder itself or the um, whole topic of, of traumatic memory. But uh, it's been 30 or 40 years since then, and uh, there's been a lot that's been learned about this disorder. Uh, it is caused by chronic childhood abuse one or, or trauma. Um, one incident does not cause DID. Um, or uh, chronic trauma in in early adulthood by uh, being domestically harmed can cause great harm to the person, but it doesn't cause DID. The reason why it only happens in small children is because the brain is still developing and very malleable. And so when the child is, is, is frequently, chronically experiencing these episodes of trauma, um, they they quite naturally uh, cordon off uh, some of the memories or some of the emotions or some of the you know um, gifts and talents uh, uh, of that individual little child get cordoned off in their mind and actually solidified into what we call parts or alters or personalities or people. I use all those words because. Other people with DID will use different words, and I want to honor their um, uh, choice of, of, of um, how they, they describe or call uh, their insiders. And um, so, but because they're created uh, in order to um, hide the abuse from the child so the child can go back out into the setting uh unaware that they have what they have just experienced and be able to live and function with the people who are hurting them. Um, we call it the hidden disorder. And so we, we, we go through life not knowing that it's there, even though we may have a, 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 a whole inner world that is experiencing things that we're not experiencing. We, when do we become aware that we have DID? That's different for every person. Um, I think as early as adolescence or as late as in the seventh decade of life, uh, people are very different and we learn and manage to um, uh, go through life <laughs> with our brains separated in, into parts, but we don't even realize they're separated into parts. But it's the trauma itself that is the giveaway because eventually, in all cases, when people have experienced trauma, it eventually comes out in some way or another. And that's what happens to reveal that we have alters or parts. Um, and for me, that happened, um, I would say, it began to happen in my 30s, um, but I didn't, I wasn't diagnosed until I was in my 40s. Um, and so that period, it was about a 10-year period where my, I began to decompensate, and, um, uh, but I didn't know why. And so I just felt like I was crazy. Um, when I chose the name of the book, your crazy. Own, like, like go back to your trauma, your specific trauma, as you say, mm-hmm. it didn't, you mm-hmm. weren't aware, you mm-hmm. were decompensating in your late 30s, early 40s, even initially, I guess, diagnosed with PTSD. But let's take it back because the trauma occurred in your family, your nuclear family. What happened? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 
what happened? Well, so I'm not going to give you a straight and direct answer for that because I received all my um, uh, awareness and knowledge through my altars, um, through traumatic memory, which is fragmented and um, uh, is located in the body. And so I, I, my altars never revealed to me who the perpetrator was, but it's very clear, I think, when you read the book who it was. But I, I do not name that person because that person was never named for me. And so I, in the book, I, I, I share exactly what I know and what I remember, but no more. Um, so I'm not... I'm not casting blame on any particular person, but I let the reader come to that conclusion themselves. Um, who who was the perpetrator? Um, the 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 acts um, were anywhere from uh, sexual acts to acts of uh, uh, um, severe control um, to um, acts of. Um, of, of, of actual mind control with groups um, and um, uh, other kinds of um, uh, sexual abuse with other people. Uh, and so um, I, I'm not going to go any further with that. I think that's as much as, as um, any of your listeners need to know. And And I also want to say that that's one of the markers of traumatic memory is that we have these stories that come back to us uh, through our bodies and uh, they sometimes feel really unbelievable but um, we when we learn to believe them and to integrate them into who we are and, and who we understand ourselves to be that's how we heal we heal by hearing these stories that seem a little crazy and that are very fragmented and that don't always fit together into a neat puzzle so that I can tell a radio host that this happened to me here and that happened to me there and this happened to me here. So so instead, we, we just get bombarded with these feelings and sensations and um, overwhelmed experiences and suicidal ideation. We, we get overwhelmed with this. But as we begin to believe those fragments... Um, uh, that's when we heal because then the, and when we allow our, our different parts to talk to one another and to talk to us and to talk to our therapists, um, and to give them voice, um, through talking, but also through writing. I did a lot of writing. Um, that's, that's what enables our inner selves, our minds, our multiple minds to heal because then we can become one person uh, because it, that, it, that it all is within us instead of located in these different um, altars uh, that exist within us. So as you are, as you're explaining it, it's the integration of these altars is part of the healing process. And just to get back to it in the book, it seems like, well, all the the trigger for beginning to realize that that uh, um, you had these altars uh, was when your husband uh, told you that he was having an affair. It seems to me that sort of like, I mean... It, that was a major trigger. To, yeah, it, was it had been trigger? coming out before that time, but it, but but it, but when that happened, that mimicked the original betrayal, um, which was um, a sexual betrayal, and my husband then was sexually betraying me too. So it was a um, 
that's all I can say is that yeah. my husband's betrayal mimicked the original betrayal. I also would like to say that uh, integration is was was my end goal in healing, but it isn't everyone's end goal in healing. So integration of the memories is is, is for is everybody's end goal. We always have to do that in order to become whole people. But there are folks who have DID who who heal from all the symptoms of abuse and they integrate the knowledge of what happened into them but they choose to remain in parts and we call that functional multiplicity i just wanted to make that um comment because there I, I, because we, it, it manifests in all of us differently and there are certainly people who do not see integration as an end goal can we talk about some of the things or some of what, what helped you? Obviously, you were in therapy eight to ten years with a, a lot of physical and emotional mm-hmm. pain. You had a, a social worker, a clinical social worker as your therapist, group therapy, um, religion. I think just those sort of were the pieces that helped you to put things together and to heal. Mm-hmm. And I, I do want to make a comment that I that, – that, Many people talk about, not necessarily with DID, but with other traumatic experiences that they found God or they found religion and then everything was great. That's not what you said in the book. I really, uh, it was much more detailed in terms of how uh, joining the Quaker religion and later another religion helped you, but not a kind of like, you know, this big spiritual awakening that doesn't ever sort of ring true with me sometimes. So I just wanted to add that. <laughs> so I could say a word about that. I, I was born and raised an atheist and uh, and and concurrent with my decompensation and reconstruction 20, 30 year period, uh, I, I gradually and slowly um, began to open up my spirituality, which was very hard to do because I had been taught with a you know with a vengeance that there was no god and so um it was really hard to leave that behind but my so my experience spiritually is that um god if that's the word you want to use or if you want to use you know spirit or um uh divine universal whatever uh but that 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 sense of something greater and larger than us um happens when we have kinks in our armor when we have cracks <laughs> when we are broken and wounded and that is certainly what happened for me because I, you know as long as i was functioning really well and the way i looked at life was working the way i wanted it to work I didn't need anything else, but when I started to have cracks, uh, and then when I fully fell apart, um, uh, that's when the, the 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 sense of spirit entered me, and I was able to embrace it. Um, and I'm not a um, a proselytizing person, so uh, I included that in my uh, memoir because it really was an important part of me. And, and, and how I was growing and developing. Um, and for some people, um, uh, you know, they were raised in highly religious families, which were probably as controlling as my highly atheistic family was, yeah. you know. And so they have to move away from that, you know. But my understanding of 
of of God is is so much more larger than any of our uh, individual beliefs down here on earth uh you know and and so we just for me it was it, it was not uh I didn't you know God didn't come in and miraculously heal me but um I began to understand myself better through that process and ultimately, my healing came from under, understanding myself. And I, I, when you said it, that the book is really honest, it is really honest. It's, it, I think it's authentic and real. And that's be, that's the only way I know how to be because before I was inauthentic and unreal. And so my whole healing journey was moving from inauthenticity and unreality into authenticity and and reality. And um, I, I didn't really choose that. That's just how I grew uh, by learning to know myself and understand myself. Um, and so my faith journey was a part of that, um, and that's why I included it in the memoir. But and I do consider it an important sub theme of my memoir. But I don't consider it the um, most important part. That's not. Uh, I'm not out there to convince anybody of anything. I'm just out there to tell my story and how I was able to heal. And able to heal uh, in the context of both of your parents trying to sabotage your healing process. Yes, yes. My my parents and my ex-husband, my parents, um, I I never accused anybody of anything. I, I... because I didn't know, you know, I didn't have these clear, crisp memories, but I knew something terrible was going on, and, and so I, I went to them for help, and uh, they, 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 instead, really pushed me away, and and were shocked by the thought that I might have been hurt, uh, and were afraid that I was going to get too close to that knowledge, and so they disowned me. And um, and after they disowned me, um, they began to invite my ex-husband to a family holiday celebration. So my my husband, my children, uh, and my parents would all be celebrating uh, Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever, and I would be alone or, or, or finding a friend to celebrate with. And that was extremely painful and very, very hard. But I also knew that the estrangement was... Um, what I, I I needed the space from their toxicity in order to do my work. Um, uh, the word boundaries so, I think comes up. It comes up in the book, but I, maybe that's part yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. You separate and that you create some boundaries so that you can heal because you're not enmeshed in all of that stuff. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and 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 I had created just a little teeny boundary by t- asking my mother to please not criticize my therapy, which she did, uh, and I thought that was sort of like a basic, um, I said it nicely, I wasn't mean or anything, and she, that's when she, she um, disowned me, you know, and so it was just this teeny tiny boundary that she couldn't handle, and um, uh, they did try to, um, uh, over time, pull me back in, and by that time, I was not they were still, you know, having this wonderful relationship with my ex-husband who had cheated on me many times. And so I just couldn't see going back into that setting again. Uh, and I, I just, I, I wanted so much to become healthy. I, I, I wanted so much 
I, I looked at people at at at, at um, healthy families at at healthy relationships. And initially, I felt jealous of them because I, I wished I had that, but that didn't last long. It was replaced by this sense of joy and happiness to see that there really were people out there who were healthy. There really were people who, who could sustain healthy relationships. And when I say healthy, I don't, we're all, we all have our kinks and our, you know, uh, issues and our problems. Uh, we never fully heal from anything. Um, but people who overall um, have um, a sense of integrity and um, a, a sense of who they are and a sense of compassion and love that they can share with uh, people within boundaries. And that was really somehow innately, that was what I was yearning for. I, I don't think I could initially articulate that. Um, but I, I, as I, as I gradually began to live into that, I, I was able then to articulate what it was that I was seeking and finding. And, um, and, and so I, I'm very grateful now uh, for that, uh, which is why I wrote the memoir, um, because I hope that the memoir might hold out. Well, first of all, it, it helps to, um, even out the, um, uh, perception of DID in, in, in the public's mind, because as you said, it's usually we think of, um, Sybil and, uh, and Three Faces of Eve, but there are people, you, you have neighbors, <laughs> you know, who have DID and you don't know it. Uh, one to five percent of the, um, uh, world population has this disorder, um, uh, as a result of, of chronic childhood abuse and we really don't want to believe that that's happening, but it is. And that means if you go to church, and there are a hundred people in the um, uh, pews that between one and five of them have either diagnosed or undiagnosed DID. Or if you're in a school auditorium with a hundred children, there are, are are probably one to five who have probably undiagnosed DID. And it's important for us to become aware um, of its prevalence because people don't think it's out there, and it really is. Um, but it is also so very treatable and. Um, uh, and 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 it's a really a creative coping strategy. I'm sort of babbling on here, Catherine. You can interrupt me, but I do want to well, say. Well, I'll interrupt you now. I, if I, you give me, <laughs> all right. I'm glad you gave me permission. <laughs> That's good. Uh, power, power, because that comes up. Because as you mentioned in the book, people see you uh, as powerful, and you are very successful. I we, you know, in school and in your job and professionally. And then there's that other side of you where you feel powerless. And uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that seems to be a, a, a big or a major theme in the book. I want to talk about that. We don't have that much time left. And I also want you just to touch on some of the a couple of the altars and describe them. Rosie in particular, because mm-hmm, she seems mm-hmm. to be the one who's right mm-hmm. in the middle of it. So mm-hmm. it's uh, power and feeling powerless, but other people seeing you as very powerful, very successful, very smart. Very different than how you feel yeah. or see yourself, and and I still feel that way sometimes, and I suspect that a lot of your listeners feel that way. I don't think that's such an odd experience. However, uh, in my case, yes, I I was able to climb up this career ladder. I had alters or parts that were really good at that work, so they went out there and they did these things. But then I would come home, and and then other parts of me, other altars would, would, would come out and crawl up into a fetal position in my bed because I was um, 
uh, exhausted or because I had said something to someone and I was, uh, you know, I would hear, you, you know, a, a very appropriate thing for an administrator to say, but then I would come back and, and be fearful that uh, I would get hurt because I had confronted someone, you know, because in my, in my life, in my early life, you didn't confront anybody, and if you did, you were hurt really badly. Um, so, yeah, that 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 was certainly a theme for me. Um, and I mean, I'm I'm old now, you know. So some of the things that were really significant for me back then are no longer significant. But I still sometimes get that sense of. Um, Gee, people are really looking at me as if I, as if I am somebody, and I'm just like a regular person um, who's sitting here looking out my window uh, in the uh, picture window in the Adirondacks, you know. And I don't, I don't experience the same power in myself that other people feel from me, and I have to remind myself of that sometimes. Um, but so you that are I can, a very um, accomplished person, both professionally. How about just writing this book? Let's just start with that and and sort of giving a little bit to the ending because we do have a couple minutes left. But you were married twice, grandmother, you know, you've accomplished all of those kinds of things uh, personally and, and professionally. Um, talk about Rosie. But I have... Yeah, I'll talk about Rosie. Rosie. Two minutes. Um, we have two minutes to talk yes, about Rosie. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Quickly. She, yeah. I had a. I had a. She was really the first alter that I became aware of, and she was what I would call the center of my system. I, I had a, a, a twilight dream that said, uh, "You have a twin sister. Sister, you have a twin sister, um, but she is me." And they gave her away, and her name is Rosie. Now, that's a very cryptic uh, statement, and I had no idea what it meant, but I wrote it down because it seemed really important. And it wasn't, you know, for probably um, a month or almost a year before I um, really saw her, accepted her as an altar. I don't want to say, I mean, I had, I was meeting altars for, uh, for several years before I was diagnosed and really didn't believe that they were, I, I was just thinking, oh, I'm making this up, I'm making this up. But um, but I wasn't making it up. And Rosie's, um, it really, the rest of my altars were a ring around Rosie, uh, which mimics that old, that little um, childhood uh, game, ring around the Rosie. And they were all there, they existed there to protect her, some of them knew her and others didn't know her, um, but they had been created in some way to protect her because she was two or three years old, um, and she kept trusting. Um, her, her, her M.O. was trust, and she would climb up into his lap over and over again, and he would hurt her. But she gave the pain away and the memory away to a different altar named Nanny, who would hold it for her so that she could then crawl up into his lap again because she needed to be able to be loved by him. And so she would crawl up and be loved by him and would not be aware of the abuse that she was experiencing when she was in his lap. So she would give that that memory away 
Um, One minute to, left, to and I think we author. can leave it at that. And that is uh, because I think it's now it's time for the readers to read the book. Uh, <laughs> Crazy Reclaiming yeah. Life from the Shadow of Traumatic Memory. Lynn Barrett, we've been talking to the author. Lynn, just kind of one website we can go to because I know there's lots of information that you have uh, at the end of the book about where people can go if they need help. Um, so can you give us a couple of websites? www. Dot LynnBarrett.com, and that's spelled L-Y-N-B-A-R-R-E-T-T.com, uh, and that has most of everything in it. Um, and you can also get to my Dissociative Writers website through that website if you're interested more in learning about um, uh, how to uh, become a part of a writer's group for people with dissociative disorders. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Um, Catherine, thank you so yeah, much. Thank and, you. And, and thank you for your listeners. Okay. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 